It's uh, so exciting to be here. I was here, it's not my first time, I was here probably in 2010, maybe 2012, about 10 years or so ago, and uh, it's so nice to come back here. It's a a beautiful uh, experience to come and be a part of a church family, and uh, you know, it's it's, um, (laughs) it's funny what God does when we do this, but the presence of God is here. Like, can you guys feel that? It's the presence of God is here. And it's, you know, it's nice to come in, see familiar faces. We got Kurt and Chris, uh, you know, familiar face from last time. And, you know, it's, it's just it's such a beautiful thing. And I want to encourage you this morning. If you're ever unsure uh, what's happening here, maybe you, you've been a part of church for a long time or maybe not a long time. And you say, what is this religion thing all about? Is, is this really what people say it is? I'm telling you now, the presence of God is in this place. Yeah. Sorry about that. God always does this with me. He messes with me so bad. So I'm this big dude, 6'3", uh, 250 pounds, add a few, uh, big guy, and it's so humbling to stand here with crying and having tears, but anyway. All right, moving on. Uh, so excited to come back out here in Landmark. Uh, I was a little bit discouraged when I learned how far away it was. We moved into the city. We're in Charleswood, so it's an hour away to come here. And I love driving, I don't mind, but man, gas prices. Talk about tears in your eyes at the gas pump, man. It's so expensive. Uh, I was a little bit concerned, actually, because my wife and I, uh, we have a responsibility to provide for our kids. And so what I did is I did a little bit of research. You can actually do this yourselves. You can go online. There's an online tool that you can use, and you punch in your income and your expenses, and you can see how you're doing financially. So I went ahead and did this, and turns out I have nothing to worry about. We're actually currently putting enough money aside each month so that we can live happily for the rest of our lives and quite comfortably for the rest of our lives, as long as we all die by next Thursday. So uh, it's, it's a, little bit, a little bit tight right now. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 32. Uh, if you're struggling to find Genesis, you have strayed a long way from Jesus. Uh, it's the very first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 32. The title of my message this morning is A Time to Wrestle. A Time to Wrestle. And just before we go any further, can we just give a big hand and an acknowledgement to Thomas and Ezra back there, 13 years old and they're volunteering and doing a fantastic job. There's some grown adults that don't even know how to volunteer, but these guys at 13 years old are doing a fantastic job. So great job, Thomas. Great job, Ezra. All right, chapter 32. We're going to be in verse 22. It's the narrative where Jacob wrestles with God. It says, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two maidservants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream... Uh, He sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When he saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. The man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered, because that was his name. Uh, Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. So Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, 
saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The, the word uh, peniel or penile, depends on how you pronounce it, basically means that you've contended with God. It means to, to wrestle with God, to contend with God. So he named the place Peniel. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you are doing. We thank you that you are a, a good and mighty God. We thank you that you do so many things. Lord, we thank you that you, uh, you humble us, that you work with us, that you are patient with us. And like Jordan was saying, that even while we were still sinners, Jesus, you died for us. And I pray that that truth never gets old. I pray that we would never flippantly say, oh, I've heard that before, the old cross narrative. God, would you change our hearts if that's how we respond? It is all about you. We, we exist uh, to glorify you. I pray, God, that you would stir our hearts in such a way this morning as we interact with your word, that we would understand its truths and its depths, and that you would receive all the glory and all the honor in this place. Would you use my words to impact the hearts of the people in a way that you would have uh, communicated? And Lord, we pray above all that you would receive all the glory that you deserve in your mighty and precious name. Amen. Amen. I have uh, three children. I've been married 21 years. Got three children. Here's a picture of them here. Take a look at this. This is, uh, this is some of the most, my most favorite people in the entire world right there. My wife of 21 years, my eldest, Arwin, my son, Maximus, right there, and my youngest in the unicorn hat, Addison. And, uh, you know, I, I show you a picture because I read that if I show you a picture of my family, that you'll listen a bit more intently. You'll assume I have compassion and empathy and I'm more relatable. So that's what that's all about. So you can go ahead and take that down. But man, having kids, what a blast. And I don't just mean the making them part. Uh, that's, that's fun too. Um, but it's okay, I'm married. We've dismissed the kids. This is why we do that. Uh, but I, I've discovered something with children. And it's this, that, that I am so much better equipped to determine the outcome and the destination of my kids' thoughts, words, and actions. I just am. As a grown man that's experienced so much more life than they have, I'm so much better equipped at determining their outcome. So my son will come down, and he'll have a crisp white shirt on ready for church. And, and he wants to have jam. I said, son, you can't wear that shirt till you've had breakfast. I'll be fine, Dad. No, son, I'm telling you, if you wear that shirt, I can guarantee you it's going to have jam on it by the time we leave for church. Dad, it's fine. <laughs> jam. I, I could have called it, right? I, I'm so much better equipped to determine the outcome of my kids' actions. I'll give another example. My daughter, she's uh, turning 12. I taught her how to ride a bike. It was a very challenging experience. Needed a lot of patience. I almost quit several times, but we, we, we persevered. And so it was like a year or two after she had started riding, and, and my son brought out this ramp, and he wants to go over this big ramp. So he does, and, and he's pretty you know, ambitious. And my daughter, with her Barbie bicycle, with the pink tassels, not like Riley's BMX. It's not equipped for jumps. My daughter says, I want to go over the ramp. I said, okay, no problem. But you've got to listen to me. When you approach the ramp, if you stay seated on the seat, the bike will go over the ramp. The back wheel will come up over the ramp. And because you're sitting in the seat, it'll buck you over the handlebars. Right, Riley? You got to, there he is, I couldn't see him, there he is. You have to stand up on the pedals, get a little bit of space between your butt and the seat so that when the bike bucks like that, your legs kind of cushion the blow and you can keep it level and you land. 
She said, no, Dad, I don't think so. I said, I'm telling you, it's the only way you can navigate this ramp at that speed and not crash. I know this. I've done it. I've crashed. I've been there. No, Dad, I think I'm fine. All right. Knowing exactly what's going to happen. So she goes down to the end of the street. She gets up all the speed you can muster. I know what's going to happen. I see this. So I'm ready to catch her. And sure enough, she's approaching and her butt is in the seat. I'm like, she's going over. She hits the ramp horror in her face. She goes flying over the handlebars. She's coming through the air. I catch her because I'm an amazing father. I catch her like this, manage to save her. And she's like, and she goes, you were right, dad. I know I was right. And, and I just, I see this over and over again with, with parenting that I'm so much better equipped than they are to determine the outcome of their thoughts, actions. And I noticed this theme in Scripture as well, the way it relates to us. I've seen this, this theme in Scripture. If you've read your Bible for any length of time, you'll see that with God, let's go over this side, that with God, there is hope, there is life, okay? He has come so that we can live life, life abundantly. But aside from Him, we can do nothing. We can do absolutely nothing. That He has come to bring us freedom, but the wages of sin is death. And we read in the Psalms, uh, in the Proverbs rather, you see that, that you have uh, Lady Wisdom and she's calling out and she's saying this leads to life. And then you have Madam Folly who's also calling out. And if you listen, it leads to death. And, and I'm reading this and I'm seeing this theme over and over again. There it is again. There it is again. And here, there it is again. This theme that with God, Everything's good. It's, it, you are with God. You are in his will, in his place. But when we run from him and we try and do things in our own strength and we, we rebel against him, it doesn't actually lead anywhere. Often it masquerades as a good destination, but it doesn't. It leads to death. And I'm seeing this theme over and over again. And the Bible is clearly warning us. God is clearly showing us that with him, it's good. Without him, it's bad. In fact, it leads to death. And I, and I think about this theme, and as I'm reflecting and meditating on this, I realize that I had a bit of an epiphany moment. And what it's done is it's caused me to live my life in such a different way. It causes me to interact with the world around me in a different way. It's completely changed and radicalized my life in the way that I respond to situations and circumstances and all these, these hardships that we experience and that we face. It's, it's caused me to reflect on that. And the, the, the epiphany is this. If in fact with God there is all sense of hope and all sense of joy and it leads to life, though it may be trying at times, the ultimate destination is life. But yet without him, it's the opposite. Then why don't we live our lives in such a way that we run to him all the time, that we're seeking him all the time, that anything that draws us away from God, we would say no to, and we would run from that, and we would fight against that, and we would just keep continuing to seek the Lord, more time in prayer, more time in the word, more time just being with him. And it sounds good, but I think the reason we don't get there is because of this thing, this, this phrase, I, I like to think I've coined this phrase, but Perhaps I read it somewhere on the internet, but if you're taking notes, just put my name beside it. Let's, uh, let's get a bit of credit going here for this. And the phrase is this, that we get bound in our chains of circumstances. 
that we are bound in the chains of our circumstances. And I'll give you an example. My dad passed away, and uh, my mom, when, when my dad died, my mom was so confused about this. Because what she said is, she said, this doesn't make any sense to me. I said, what doesn't? She goes, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we got everybody around the world to pray, all our friends, all our family. We fasted, we sought the Lord, we read the scriptures, we did everything. And yet, your dad still died. And so therefore, God is neither good nor powerful. Because if God was good or he was powerful, your dad would have been healed. And I said, Mom, you can't look at it that way. And what had happened is she found herself bound in the chain of circumstances. That somehow, God, the creator of the universe, that somehow he was morally obligated to heal my dad. Obligated. And I wrestle with that theologically because I know my Bible and it says the wages of sin is death. Now, not going to make you too uncomfortable here. But how many people in this room have never lied? Anyone never lied? Look at that. Bunch of honest people. I love it. We, we sin all the time. Why? Because it's part of our nature. We can't actually escape it. It's part of who we are. And it grieves my heart. Because I stand here before you as a man so desperately in love with God. But I struggle to keep the law. I, I struggle. I want to, but I can't. And it's because of this thing called sin nature. But if we're not careful, we can get bound in the chain of circumstances. Because if it's true that the wages of sin is death, and every one of us has sinned from birth, it's part of our nature, we can't actually escape it, then every single one of us in this room deserves that death. But it's because of His grace and His mercy and His kindness that we draw another breath, that we live another day. And I want to live my life telling people about the goodness of God and his mercy and his kindness. Because if you get caught in those chains of circumstances where you say God ought to have done this and he was obligated to do this in my life, we get tripped up real bad. And where does it end? And this is the epiphany. If in fact in God there's everything good and aside from him there's nothing, and we get to those moments where we're frustrated with God because we prayed for a job and we didn't get it. Or we prayed for a release of finances and we're struggling still. Or we prayed for someone to get better and they actually died. And we get into this place where we're crippled with these circumstances. So we make this decision. We say, I'm done with God. God failed me. God did nothing in my tough time. So I'm done with God and I'm running from him. Not going to church, not reading my Bible, certainly not giving any money. And they run from God. But let me ask you this. Where are we running to? Like if in God there is all these things. And you see in the scripture and you, you read and you study and you see that the, the, he comes so that we have life. And not just regular life but abundant life. And that there is forgiveness and there is grace and there is mercy and there is hope. But aside from that, we can do nothing, and the wages of sin is death. And if we listen to Madam Folly, we go down this dark road, then where are we running to? There isn't anything. There's nothing left. We reach the bottom, and we just die. We're in a crumbled mound of defeat, 
and we die. And that's it. But when I read my, the, the Bible, I'm so stirred and so excited by this story in Genesis 32 that we read of Jacob. And, and if you're unfamiliar, why it's a bit of a big deal that this happened to Jacob. So Jacob was a chosen and blessed man of God. He was the grandson of Abraham. So, so, so back up the train a little bit. So God creates the world. He has this beautiful paradise. He creates mankind. And then, and then he says, oh, wow, that's, that's, that's beautiful. There's one rule, just one. You can do whatever you want, but there's just one tiny itsy-bitsy thing. You just can't eat of this one tree. You can't. It's called free will. Don't eat it. You can, but you should not. If you do, talk about identifying the outcome of our actions. If you do, it leads to death. Death. And so Eve comes along and says, I don't know about this. Let's give it a whirl. Next thing you know, they bite the apple. Now sin is in the world. They're separated from God. They're apart from him. They've been kicked out of the garden. An angel stood there guarding the, the garden, guarding access to the tree of life. They can't actually do that anymore. Death sets in. Uh, mortality sets in. They start down this, this world where, of, of brokenness and, and hopelessness. And so, so it gets all kinds of messy, and God says, okay, uh, this is what we're going to do. Uh, let's find Noah. He's a good guy. I'm going to get his family. We're going to flood the world, clear it all out. Let's start again with Noah. So that happens. The flood happens. Noah saved. And it's okay for a while, but then they start forgetting about God again. It starts going bad again. God's like, all right, uh, let's see here. Abram. Actually, sir, is your name Abram? How sweet would that have been, hey? Can we just pretend it is for the tape? Splice it in. It is Abram. Whoa. <laughs> and he said, I'm actually going to change your name to Abraham. And what I'm going to do is through you and all your family, we are going to, we're going to make the, the wrongs right here. And Abraham was a chosen man, right? Father Abraham. Uh, many, many nations. Uh, his kids are like the stars in the sky. And so Abraham and Sarah, they have, uh, they have children. They have Isaac and Rebekah. And Isaac and Rebekah have twin boys called Jacob and Esau. And they were wrestling in the womb. There was contention in the womb. They were fighting back and forth as Jacob and Esau were fighting. And then the first one born is Esau. He comes out and he's like all hairy and red. He's like, you know, just... And, uh, and he comes out first. So he's the firstborn. Now, this is a big deal in Bible times because if you are the firstborn, it means you get the firstborn blessing. Which means you, yeah, the other kids inherit some of the dad's wealth, but you as the firstborn son, you get a double portion. So you get this spiritual blessing, this material blessing. It's a big deal to be firstborn in Bible times, especially when you're carrying on the lineage to save the world again, right? And so, so what happens is Esau's born, but then Jacob comes out the womb immediately following, and he's grabbed hold of Jacob's heel. And he's clutching the heel, uh, sorry, of Esau. And so Jacob clutches Esau's heel coming out of the womb. So the parents name him Jacob, which actually means like um, supplanter or usurper or um, deceiver. It means someone who has gained something through illegitimate uh, ways. In other words, he was trying to grab the heel. Scholars believe maybe pull him back in so Jacob could be first. He was constantly striving to get something that is not actually his. And he's called a deceiver. And so he, they grow up together, and Esau's the one out hunting. And Esau's out in the field, and he's hunting. He's big, he's strong, he's burly, he's a bushman. 
And Jacob, he's left behind and he's, he's just making the stew. He's good in the kitchen. He's making the stew. And Esau comes home famished from being out in the field. And uh, he says to Jacob, what do you got there? And Jacob goes, this? Oh, it's nothing. It's just a, just a delicious stew. And Esau goes, well, c- can you give me some? I'm starving. And Jacob's like, well, this? Yeah, I could. I could give you some. He goes, well, I'm starving. I'm going to die here. He goes, I'll tell you what. Why don't you, remember, Jacob's a deceiver. He's a tricker. He says, why don't you trade your birthright for a, a pot of lentil stew? Now, we're all thinking that's a terrible idea. Who would do that? But clearly Esau, maybe not super bright. I don't know what his deal was. Maybe he was that hungry. But he said, look, my birthright's doing nothing for me right now. I'm going to die. Sure, let's do it. So Jacob tricks Esau at the moment when Esau was hungriest, and he traded his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. So now Jacob has this birthright. And so what happened is obviously the father uh, is still alive, Isaac, but he gets old. And he says, okay, it's time to give this birthright. And he makes this plan. He says, Esau is going to go out hunting. He's going to bring back some goats. We're going to have a nice meal together, and then I'm going to give Esau the blessing. And Rebecca, Trixie lady, she overhears this, and she goes, whoa, uh, Jacob, Jacob, come here, come here, Jacob, listen. Your dad, he's going to give the birthright, like right away. He's going he's to give it. You've you got to do something here. He's, she says, why don't we do this? You go out and get some goats, and what, what I'll do is I'll, I'll get the skin off the goats, the hides, and I'll put it on your body because the dad, his eyes were failing, and he says, you can actually reach out and... And uh, Isaac can feel, and he'll know it's Esau, and then, and then he'll trick him, and you'll get the birthright. So Jacob, of course he's going to do that. He's a tricksy guy. So, so they get some goats, and Rebecca cooks up this delicious meal, and he puts on this hide of a goat. And then uh, Isaac goes, okay, come, Esau. And Jacob goes in, and Jacob goes, hey, <clears throat> hey Dad, it's Esau here. And, and Isaac's like, really? It kind of sounds a bit like Jacob. He goes, no, trust me, it's Esau. And he goes, come, come close, let me feel you. So he comes close, and Isaac, uh, he reaches out, Isaac reaches out, and he goes, oh, yeah, you're pretty hairy. I guess you are Esau. And again, Jacob tricked him. He gets the birthright. So then he's, he takes off. He's got the birthright. Esau, my goodness, Esau the hunter. He knows how to use a bow and a spear. Esau comes in, and he goes, okay, Dad, I'm ready for this birthright. And Isaac's like, what? I, I gave the birthright to you already. He goes, no, you didn't. He goes, oh, Jacob. Jacob tricked us. He got the birthright. Did you have another one? No, I've only got the one firstborn birthright. And so Esau, in a, in a very typical biblical response, he vowed to kill him. You, you read that quite a bit. They vowed to kill him. So Esau wanted to go kill his own brother. So Jacob takes off running. Now, a long time passes by. Several decades passes by, and God says to Jacob, you got to go back to the hometown. you got to go see Esau. Jacob's like, what are you, crazy? He's going to kill me. God's like, that's a risk I'm willing to take. God paraphrasing, of course. So Jacob starts on this journey where he's trying to be obedient, but he's gripped with fear because he knows what's going to happen. Sorry, I'm not standing in the camera of you. <laughs> Sorry, online. This is why you come in person. And... Uh, He's doing a great job, this guy. Thomas, you're doing fantastic, buddy. And, and so this is what happens. They, um, he goes back, and there's this moment where he realizes he's going to send all the people across the ford, and Jacob's alone at night. 
And this is what the Bible tells us. And this is, it's not a story. This is true, by the way. It's a story, but it's, it's a real, true story. It's not a dream or a vision. It's real. This actually happened. Jacob's sitting there, and across from the fire, he sees the flames flickering. And you know above a fire how things are wavy? So past that waviness, he sees this shadowy figure. And this shadowy figure is approaching, but he's, he's not approaching at a leisurely pace. He's approaching with determination, and his fists are clenched, and his muscles are tight, and he's coming like this. And Jacob realizes that this man is, it doesn't seem all that friendly. And as he gets closer and closer, he approaches Jacob, and Jacob gets up from the fire, and before he can say anything, the man grabs him. And so Jacob starts tussling and wrestling with this man, and he doesn't know who it is. He's like, what's going on? And he's wrestling and fighting with this man. And all of a sudden, we get to this situation where the man realizes he actually can't overpower Jacob. So he hits the joint of his hip. Boom, the socket pops right out. Now, you got to be pretty strong to do that to someone, right? But his, his, so, his, his hip socket, that's a huge ball and socket joint, just popped out. Imagine the pain. This is a literal story. Imagine the pain of having your hip socket. Anybody been through that at all? Okay. You don't have to imagine. You've been, it's painful, right? Now, imagine someone was still fighting you for your very life. Like, imagine the pain. They would have been on the ground, rolling around. It would have been dirty and dusty. And he's wrestling with this man. And then this moment comes where Jacob says, that the man says, well, what is your name? And he says, my name's Jacob. And the man says, well, your name will no longer be Jacob. Now listen very closely, don't miss this nuance. There's this moment here where it's dirty, it's painful, it's ugly, it's, it's extremely painful even just from the hip alone. And he says, your name will no longer be Jacob. And so Jacob realizes he's actually experiencing a fear that's not unfamiliar to him. He's experiencing a fear that is incredibly familiar. It's the fear of the Lord. And Jacob's experienced this before. And in that moment, Jacob realizes he's actually wrestling with God himself. And as he's wrestling with God, the man says, so God says, let me go for it is daybreak. And listen closely, Jacob's response. He said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Because in that moment, he knew that this was God, the only source of all hope and peace and joy and, and hope for transformation in your life. And he acknowledges that it's God. And so he says, no, I'm pain. I'm, I'm limping here. My socket is out. I'm dirty and I'm dusty, but I will not let you go until you bless me. And in that moment, the man, God, says to Jacob, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Your name will no longer be Jacob. Now listen to this nuance. When Jacob said, my name is Jacob, he wasn't just telling God his name. Remember, God knows all things. God was not lacking any knowledge. That was a confession where Jacob said, actually, you want to know who I am? I'll tell you who I am. I'm someone who has obtained things through illegitimate ways. I'm someone that has tricked people. I'm someone that has, has strived for the blessing outside of the will of God through trickery, through schemery. That's who I am. But God says, today, you will no longer be that man. You will no longer be that man. He said, today, you will be Israel. And he changed his name to Israel. 
Now, this is, this is a beautiful thing, beautiful moment here. Uh, that's, it gets to a situation where there's a surrender in Jacob's heart where he realizes, hey, actually, uh, I do need to surrender to God here. Now, don't miss this. In this surrendering, there's an identity of who we are, but then an immediate identity of who we are in Christ, who God says that we are. And in that moment afterwards, the actual blessing from God, the legitimate blessing from God is there. And I think about these guys in the program. I, I've sat across from the table as they come in on their first day and they have no idea what to expect. And the look of hopelessness in their eyes because they've just come from hospital or they've just come from jail or all their families abandoned them because of the choices they've made and they have a hope, a, a face that has no hope in it. It's completely hopeless. And, and I ask them, what's your hope? What's your anticipation? What do you expect God's going to do? And there's a shrugging of the shoulders. There's a, I don't know. It's dirty. It's painful. It's uncomfortable. But what we do is we say, look, we don't run a program that helps people overcome addictions. What we do is we run a program where we teach people and introduce them to the amazing life-changing love of God. And God is the one that breaks free the chains. God is the one that breaks off these addictions. All we have to do is keep pointing them to Jesus. Keep pointing them to God and he does the work. Is that good? Yeah. Yeah, give God a hand if you want someone over there starting something. No? And so when I sit there across the table and I hear the stories... I think, man, this is a great opportunity for God to rename them, to say, hey, this may be who you are. You may feel unloved. You may feel broken. You may feel unwanted. You may feel discarded. But God says, you are precious. You are loved. You are valuable. And now you're here with me. And they actually can't leave. <laughs> you understand that? It's pretty, I mean, they can leave, but there's... There's bigger, bigger things that happen when, you know, they get back in and all that. So they're not, not in prison, hear me. They can physically leave. But we say, look, you, you got to listen to us. We're, we're taking the wheel here. Some resist a lot. Some resist little. Some don't resist at all. But we take the wheel because what we do is we need to say, we need to show you who you are in Christ. And so it's an intensive program. There's studying, there's reading, there's discipleship, it's, it's um, accountability. Like it's really intense. It's a lot of hours, it's a lot of study, it's a lot of focus. And it, it reminds me of that wrestling with God. It's dirty, it's painful, it's uncomfortable. But when they realize that, hold on a second, what I'm doing here is I'm grabbing hold of God and learning who he is and learning who I am in him. And when I'm in this camp, it leads to death. But when I'm in this camp, it leads to life. And so we just keep encouraging them, fight through it. I know it's uncomfortable. I know it's painful. And I've had many conversations with a number of these guys. And they have told me, I want to leave. And I say, don't. <laughs> just don't go. And some have left. Some have stayed. But I'm telling you right now, if you talk to these guys, you will hear story after story after story of how God has transformed a life and given someone hope when there was none. 
Because, yes, they were in chains of circumstance, but then they say, no longer, we're stopping this. I'm breaking these chains off through the power of God. I'm going to seek after him. I'm going to listen to what he has to say, and I'm going to take everything in because I know that the only source of all hope, the only source of joy, the only source of peace is found in Jesus. And you say, well, you know, I'm not in an addictions program. Okay, let's look at your life then. Ooh, got a bit uncomfortable for a second. Let's look at your life. How many of you may, and don't have to show of hands, but how many of you have said that? God failed me. God did nothing. This prayer didn't work. This scripture didn't work. It's not about that. It's about knowing who you are in Jesus and knowing how much he loves you and that he hung on that cross. And just like he turned to the thief and the thief said, would you remember me? And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. It's not about our works. It's not about what we do. It's not about how amazing we are. Praise the Lord that we're not judged on how amazing we are because we are not that amazing. But for you, whatever situation you find yourself in where you say, I'm at the bottom. Yes, I haven't done drugs or I haven't been in prison or I haven't been hospitalized for nearly dying, but I'm at the bottom. And I don't know where you're at. Maybe you've been calling out to God for so long and you feel so much hurt and pain. Maybe something's happened to you when you were younger and you can't get past it. Or maybe you've been seeking and asking God for a promise and you don't see it happening. And you would say, yeah, I'm in my respective crumbled mound of defeat where I have no hope to run to Jesus. I don't want to worship him. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to trust him anymore. I don't want to go to church anymore. Maybe just watching online. What do you do? You do what Jacob did. You pick yourself up from your crumbled mound of defeat. You lunge forward. You grab hold of God. And with all your might that you can muster, you say, I will not let go until you bless me. Because in him is the only source of hope and joy and peace. So wherever you are, whatever your situation, whatever circumstance you have, break that chain of circumstance, brush yourself off, wipe the blood from your face, grab hold of God because he is here, he is in this place, and say, God, I will not let you go until you bless me. And if you were to surrender to God, with, and it doesn't have to be pretty, but if you can surrender to God like that, I guarantee you, I would give my life for this truth. You will see a different trajectory in the way you respond to circumstances. I'm not, hear me, I'm not saying you will get the healing, you will get the finance, and you will get the job, but the way you respond to those, what you learn in those situations, how you endure those situations, that will have a different trajectory than what you've already had. Because he is good, he is amazing, he is the king of kings, he is the lord of lords, he is our healer, our provider, and he loves every single person in this room, including guys that have no hope, that are in prison or in hospital fighting for their lives while they were still sinners. Jordan, you said it, Christ died for us. Praise you, Jesus. That's all I have to share. Thank you this morning.